Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So Conversations with Jesus, a brand new series kicking off this week uh, for the next three weeks. Uh, Essentially, my aim over these three weeks is to paint the big picture for us of what um, a big picture of the relational lived experience of faith in Jesus. What does it look like relationally to live out faith in Jesus? What does it feel like? How is faith in Jesus experienced in our lives? And one of the best ways that I have to describe that is that it's like a conversation. It's like an ongoing ongoing dialogue. It's two-way. It's relational. It's personal. It's connection. It's engagement. It's involvement. The story that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks reveals to us these three uh, moves Uh, in this relational dance that is the lived experience of faith in Jesus. Um, And we're going to look at those three moves over the next three weeks, one each week. The first move that we're going to look at today is the move of connection, which is made possible because we are seen by Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at the move of engagement, made possible because we're known by Jesus. And then in the third week, we'll look at the move of involvement, which is made possible because we are sent by Jesus. He sees us and he connects us with him, drawing us to himself. And in that place, he knows us intimately. He changes our heart to be more and more like him. And he sends us out to involve us in his work of redemption in this world so that others might be connected by him, engaged by him, and sent by him, that others might be connected, engaged, and sent that others might be connected, engaged, and sent. And so the dance goes on. This picture that we're going to paint over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to do by taking a really deep dive into, the, into this story. When you spend three weeks on one story, the only option is deep. So buckle up. I hope you've had your morning coffee. Um, and this is a heads up for next week and the week after. Have your coffee uh, before you come, I would think. Um, And this conversation is one in which we find all three of these moves. And I believe that it's, it's, it's a story that will transform the way that we individually and collectively, as a community of believers, um, live dynamic lives of dialogue, of conversation with our Lord Jesus. So today, move number one, the move in which you are seen. When I was at Bible college, I took an Old Testament class uh, with the most brilliant Old Testament professor, and um, I waited two years to take his class on the Psalms, and I finally got there. And this one week, we were looking at Psalm 139, which is a psalm that we often turn to for comfort, um, and it speaks of God's faithful, faithful presence with us. You know, I, I'm, fearfully, you are fearful, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, the psalm says. God has crafted me. I'm intimately known. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. And that God is faithfully present with us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? But as my lecturer pointed out, what happens when you feel ashamed? When you don't actually want to be seen? When you know what you've done and you know what you're like? And even though your deepest, deepest longing is for connection, you're trying your best to hide and disconnect. In those times, this psalm is terrifying. (laughs) If I go up to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. (laughs) The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For those of us who see this sermon title in which you are seen and feel shame instead of comfort and fear instead of peace, it's an uncomfortable thought that there's nowhere you can go where God doesn't see you. So the question that I want to pose this morning is this. How do we respond to an all-seeing, all-present God who sees what we don't want to be seen. And I think that our answer to that question depends on what we believe about God. And I just want to unpack three things this morning that this passage shows us about Jesus, Jesus being God in human form, so that together we can consider how we will respond to him. Firstly, Jesus goes to the margin He goes to the places that people expect not to be seen. Verses 1 to 6. Now Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, if you're familiar with your ancient Middle Eastern geography, which I assume of course you all are, uh, you'll see that Samaria, there's a map that'll come up on the screen, Samaria is right in the middle of Judea in the south uh, and Galilee in the north. And at a first glance, fair enough, Jesus, travelling from Judea to Galilee, had to go through Samaria. However, if you see the little grey line to the right, that is the the journey that most of the Jews would take when they were taking that journey north. Um, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other, and the Jews avoided Samaria at all costs. The Samaritans basically were a mixed race uh, who had mixed with the other nations around them. They were the remnants of the defeated Israelite kingdom back in the Old Testament before Jesus. Um, And they claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham. And when the Jews who had been exiled in Babylon, when some of them came back to their land, they found that these Samaritans had settled in this central portion of their land and they were rejecting the Jews who were trying to come back. So hence the rivalry. And sometimes they would attack the Jews when they tried to go through. So it's best for them to avoid it altogether. So they thought. But however, not Jesus. And um, he takes his disciples right through the middle. Why did Jesus, a Jewish man, have to go through Samaria? The passage doesn't actually tell us why, but I think it's fair to, um, to say that either he's had a word of knowledge from God uh, that he's to go through there. He says elsewhere that he's, he only does what he sees his father doing. Or perhaps he's wanting to reveal something to his disciples and by extension to us as his disciples today. Something significant about who he is. Now, to the Jews, Samaria was the definition of the margin. The the Samaritans really considered themselves to be Jews, but to the Jews, they were not. 
Jews. And so they were like the outer, outer margin of Judaism. Um, the Jews didn't want to see the margin, the Samaritans. They didn't want to know about it. Uh, and the margin, kind of like on a cover letter, is the bit that you don't see, right? It's the bit sort of outside the writing. You look at the bit in the centre. No one looks at the margin. No one pays attention to the margin. It's empty. It's blank space. It serves no, most of the time serves no purpose. But Jesus shows us that by choosing to go through Samaria, he sees the margin. He sees the whole page. Nothing is beyond his gaze. That's why the psalmist can't escape his presence, can't go up to the heavens or down to the depths anywhere. Jesus sees the margin. You know, some people and places find themselves uh, on the margin through circumstance. Having a debilitating illness can put you on the margin of society. Not having family around can put you on the margin. Being elderly can put you on the margin. Having a disability, being a teenager, being single, being a mum, being a dad, your sexuality, not having children, not having a job, having to flee a war-torn country, having an addiction, not having anywhere to live. All these kinds of things are things that are circumstantial that put you on the margin of society. If that's you this morning, if you resonate with any of those things that I just listed, I want you to know that Jesus sees you like he sees anyone else because he sees the margin, he sees the whole page. And as much as your world might put you on the margin, you're not on the margin to him. Others of us choose to be on the margin where people don't look. We don't want to be seen because I think at the heart of it, we fear what will happen if we are seen. We believe that some part of who we are or something that we've done makes us unworthy of connection. And so we hide out of the line of sight of community and we try to hide out of the line of sight of God. As humans, our shame has been making us try to hide since Adam and Eve. They were ashamed and so they hid from God in the garden with no success. We haven't succeeded yet. <laughs> when I was in, uh, in Bible college, I formed a very close connection with um, a car called Audrey. Audrey was, oh, bless her, she was a 1992 Toyota Corolla, beautiful blue, um, five-door hatchback with a little flat thing on the top of the hatch. I don't know what it's called, but it was a hatch with a little like flat bit on the back. I don't know. Anyway, you get the picture. A spoiler? Okay, thank you. Kind of a spoiler, but not a sports car kind of spoiler. Just Anyway, you're just going to have to use your imaginations. Um, and it, she had the following features. Uh, power steering, um, manual windows, uh, air conditioning that didn't, wasn't really air conditioning, um, hold your own cups, uh, what else? A windscreen that leaked from time to time, and oh, a cassette player. She was the best. She was the best. When I finished Bible college, I got a job, which is the, the role that I've just finished prior to starting here in a publishing company working in marketing. And Audrey and I were still like this. Audrey was still my car. And um, I would drive to work in, in Audrey, which other people might have termed a bomb. Um, but to me, she was, she was my Audrey. And, um, and so I'd drive in, in this car, Audrey, and it wasn't, it wasn't long before I started to feel a little bit ashamed of my dear Audrey. 
And so what I would do when I got to my parking spot in my stack is I would reverse park in, not because I thought it was clever or I wanted to practice my driving skills, but because it didn't really... Oh, I forgot to mention, the other best feature is that she had rust on the top of the spoiler thing on the back of the car. Lots of... Like, the whole thing was rusted. This is the whole point of the story, this. She had lots and lots of rust. And so I would reverse my car into my spot so that when people came past, they wouldn't see. They'd just see the front of the car, which also wasn't great, but at least it wasn't rusted. And... Um, and so I would reverse my car into my spot so nobody would see the rust. In other words, I was ashamed of my dear Audrey, and so I tried to hide the rust on my car. This, it's what shame makes you do, right? When you feel ashamed of something, you try to hide. It's a silly example, but hopefully it gets the point across. I've since upgraded to a Toyota Yaris, just to let you know. Not that anybody would ever judge anyone based on the car that they drive, right? That's just not our experience, is it? No, no, never. All right, moving on. When you find yourself on the margin, either out of choice or because you're hiding... um, Oh, sorry, out of choice because you're hiding or out of circumstance... Jesus is making a beeline for you. Let me tell you that this morning. Because he loves you and because he wants you to find wholeness through connection with him and with others. Regardless of what other people say or think, he sees you, he loves you, and he's heading your way. Can I ask you this morning, in what ways do you feel on the margin of your world? Maybe even the margin of your own life? In what ways do you feel overlooked and left out? Is that the case of circumstance or is it the case that actually you're hiding out in the margin? Has God been bringing anyone to your mind while I've been sharing? Someone who's on the margins of your life, maybe on the margins of our community here at Northside. And how can you help them to know that they are seen in order that they can experience connection? What's one thing that you can do this week for that person? You know, maybe there's a little part of your life that you have pushed to the margins of your heart, pushed to the margins of your life, hoping that it's out of God's reach. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your work. I want you to know that Jesus makes a beeline for that part of your life as well. Not in order to reject you or to shame you, but in order to bring you wholeness by connecting that part of you, connecting those things to him and to community. Well, as well as going to the margins, and this is the second point, when he gets there, Jesus makes the first move. Verses 7 to 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, if choosing to go to a marginal place was not enough... Jesus then strikes up a conversation with a marginal person. Sitting down at a well in the middle of the day, exhausted from his journey, along comes a woman to draw water. Uh, now, usually the, woman would come, the women uh, would come to draw water either in the morning or late in the day when it was cooler. So the fact that she's there in the middle of the day automatically flags uh, that she's hiding, she's avoiding, she doesn't want to be seen. Um, People might, she doesn't want to be there at the same time as other people. They might pry, they might judge, uh, they might make her feel worse than she already feels. So she hides out in the margin and she comes in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be seen. That's what shame will do to you. 
recognizing that the woman is both hiding, she's on the margin by choice, and being a Samaritan woman, she's on the margin by circumstance, Jesus still chooses to engage her in conversation. He notices her, he approaches her, he initiates relationship with her, he treats her with dignity, he asks her for help, asks her for a drink, he doesn't treat her like a project. He's not pushy, he doesn't force connection on her, he just meets her where she's at and asks her for a drink. Jesus always makes the first move in relationship with us. You know, here we see a very human Jesus, one who needs food and needs drink and gets tired. But this Jesus is also God. He's also the one who always makes the first move towards us and who knows that, that as one ancient writer put it, the wounds of mankind are beyond our healing. This is the one who from heaven saw humanity destroying itself And instead of asking us to heal ourselves and read self-help books and just try harder, he showed us such dignity and solidarity by moving to the margins, by becoming human. When heaven is your home, earth is pretty marginal. So that as a human, he might take the blame for the hurt that we have caused each other and God. And so that as God, he might heal our wounds to make a way for us to find wholeness through connection with him and each other. Pretty remarkable, huh? We have an amazing, amazing God. Whether you find yourself on the margin out of circumstance or choice, let me tell you this morning that he sees you and he gently makes the first move in drawing you to himself. The question is, how will you respond to him? I love the way the Samaritan woman responds to him because it's just so real. She responds with the prickly walls of someone who is hiding out on the margin and doesn't want anyone else to come into the margin with her. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And isn't that so often the case? We get a little bit prickly and a little bit defensive if someone gets a bit too close to our hiding place in the margin, if that's where we are by choice. And I love how Jesus engages with her, walls and all. It's so real. He's not put off. He's not intimidated. Um, And he doesn't get all controlling on her. He just loves her. He just perseveres in conversation to show her that he's interested, that he cares, and that he sees her. And this is point three. He sees past her walls and quite playfully shows her that he wants to know her. Verses 10 to 15, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And I love this playful, teasing conversation. Jesus is speaking to the woman on a really deep spiritual level, trying to connect with her on a heart level beyond her walls. And the woman is responding on a surface level through her walls. And fair enough, right? She's either been walled into the margin uh, or walled herself into the margin and she's speaking from the place that she knows and that's okay, that's real, that's life. 
But what's Jesus trying to get at with her? Why is he talking about water? You know, he's saying to her that she doesn't have to live off the stale, stagnant water from the walled-off margin anymore. She doesn't have to live off the mouldy water of shame and disconnection. There is a wonderful alternative. What is available to her and to us this morning, if she and we would only ask, is a living water, a flowing water, a water that bubbles up from within you to refresh your soul and renew your life. Living walled off from connection with God and with others is to live on stale, stagnant water that doesn't quench your thirst for very long and, to be honest, doesn't taste very nice. And Jesus is the giver of this living water. Uh, The word gift in verse 10 is used only here in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and used only four times in the book of Acts. Um, And the word gift is always used with reference to the Holy Spirit when this particular word is used. It's the Holy Spirit who fills all those who put their trust in Jesus with this living water that bubbles up to eternal life, full life, life as it's intended to be lived. He satisfies our deepest thirst for connection with God and goes one step beyond that by creating community, by knitting together those who live off the same water, the same Holy Spirit who fills all of us who trust in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And while this woman doesn't, doesn't understand all that, by verse 15, whether she's being sarcastic or not, which she may be, oh yeah, give me this great magic water, she's, at least she's engaging with Jesus. The question is, will she give up the stagnant water of disconnection and take Jesus up on his offer of fresh, living, flowing water and there find new life of connection with Jesus? The challenge is that receiving the new life of connection with him requires acknowledging that we've been living on stagnant water and recognising that he sees that. But you know what? When we come to him like that, he always, always accepts us. This passage shows us that connection to Jesus is available to anyone, that this living water is available to anyone, no matter who you are or what you've done, no matter the shame you feel or the height of your walls that lock you into the margin. Jesus wants to connect with you and he has the power to heal and break down those walls. He does. There's nothing he won't forgive, no shame he won't heal and no injustice that he won't one day set right. At the beginning of this message, I asked us, how do we respond to an all-seeing, all-present God who sees what we don't want to be seen? And I said the answer to that question will depend on what we believe about Jesus, the one who sees. I hope you've seen this morning that he is so kind and loving and that he responds with grace and an open invitation to connection with him that he goes to the margins, that he makes the first move, that he sees past your walls and he wants to know you, the real you, the you beyond the shame, the you beyond the margin, the real you. Being seen by Jesus is what makes it possible for our deepest, deepest like gut longings for connection to be met. It's the first move in the conversation-like uh, lived experience of faith in Jesus. 
It's where it all begins. He sees you. He sees you and he, he likes what he sees. He accepts you. He wants to know you, the real you. And, you know, while he makes the first move, living connected with him requires a response from us, a response to what we've heard this morning. It requires us to recognise that living in the margins, living disconnected from God and each other, is like drinking stagnant water. And it's accepting the free-flowing, refreshing water of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live connected to him and to one another. It's a water that can really renew your life. Some of us here this morning, I think, have felt challenged that you've placed yourself on the margin of your own life, of, of our community, of your family, of society, because of shame and fear of being rejected. And can I ask you this morning to attend to the gaze of Jesus on your life, on your soul, to say to him, I know that you see me, and I choose to believe that you don't reject me, you don't reject what you see, but you offer me connection with you and I accept your offer. If you feel this morning that you've been put on the margin through circumstance, would you bring that to him as well? So that you might experience the comfort of being seen by him? Tell him exactly how you feel about being overlooked, about being left out, about being pushed to the side. He wants to know, pray without pretending. It's a great line that I once heard. Ask him for the connection that he provides, for the comfort of being seen by him. If you sense that you are really walled into the margin, that there's some powerful force of some kind in your life that's really keeping you walled in, would you bring that to him? Would you come up the back after the service? We'd love to pray for you into that. God is powerful to break down any wall, any wall. Nothing is too big for him. Things that are obstacles to us are not obstacles to him. And to all of us, I finally want to say that God's word is really clear that we as his people have a responsibility to care for those in the margins. We're God's hands and feet in this world. And if he made a beeline for the margins, to see and care for and connect with the marginalised, then that becomes our priority too. I hope that's encouraging and I just encourage you to sit with God and think, where do you fall in that? Where have you felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit this morning? What's resonated with you um, to accept his offer of connection? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and so much for sending Jesus. Thank you that you see us. God, I want to pray for those who have chosen to be in the margin, God, that are hiding out because they sense shame. Lord, I ask right now that you would help them to know that when you see them, you like what, they, you, like what you see, God, that you love them, that you can heal their shame and heal their fear. Father, for those who've been pushed to the margins through circumstance, Father, I pray that they would know you see them, that, you are not that they are not overlooked by you, that they're not left out by you. God, would you bring healing and comfort through that. Father, for all of us, would you help us, help us and prompt us to care for those in the margins, that you would bring healing and connection. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, this living water. Father, I just pray that you would fill everyone in this room afresh, God, with your spirit, that our lives might be renewed and refreshed in connection with you and with one another, Father. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.